Well, good morning, and welcome to Grace Harvest Baptist Church. This morning, uh, as we come to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, we have sung and and worshipped this morning. We have gathered earlier today, and we have uh, had Sunday school, and we've had fellowship. And again, now we come to the proclamation of His Word. And and this morning also as well, uh, we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. We did that on Thursday night. Uh, as we came and we worshiped and we preached on his last night. And today, as uh, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, we will remember again the sacrifice that he did as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. In addition to that, we will be having a baptism today. What a glorious day that is when uh, a brother in Christ will come forward, share his testimony, and be baptized. And uh, what better day? and to be baptized into the faith than on the Lord's Resurrection Day. Today we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, and I'll be preaching from uh, chapter 24, uh, and I'll be starting in verse 13. Um, I've called this uh, sermon the, the Sunday Walk, the Easter Walk, and um, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those passages in Scripture that a lot of times gets overlooked and not preached on. But this morning, I, I do want to share with you, Start. we're going to have a testimony at the end, obviously, before the baptism, but I want to share with you an unexpected testimony this morning. As I was uh, getting ready to preach at the 8 o'clock service, uh, um, John Anderson came to me and said, Pastor, can I speak to you a moment before the service? And I said, sure, John. So he came into my office, and he wanted to share with me uh, something and that uh, just touched my heart. But I want to set that up a little bit by telling you a little bit about John. John and his wife Mary and his twin boys, uh, uh, his wife and um, his boys came to Grace Harvest for about a year before he did. And I, and I would uh, see her come faithfully with the boys and she would always say, well, uh, my husband's working or he's busy and, uh, you know, and uh, he's tired. And uh, so I stopped asking. Usually when that happens, I stopped asking a wife. And I'm just glad to see that she's here. But tell her that I'm always available uh, to speak to your husband if you would like. Well, one Sunday, John came. And he sat and he listened to me preach. And I remember seeing John that Sunday. And then uh, I met with him after service. And I said, John, it's a great pleasure to meet with you. I'd love to come to your house. Can I come and, can, and, and get for you to get to know me? And he said, sure, come on. Uh, with all the enthusiasm in the world. <laughs> I know when I'm not welcome, but that's the mission field, right? And so he said, well, preacher, you better have a vehicle that you can drive down a rough road. I thought he was kidding. He wasn't kidding. Uh, fortunately, I brought my truck and went down, and it was a dark night. and we uh, Dark. <laughs> going through there, and, and uh, I know my wife was thinking, where in the world are we going? And we pull up in, uh, into his yard. And I go in the house, and it was had a warm feel to it. As soon as I walked in the door, had a had a wood stove going, just beautiful. Uh, and so I sat down with John. And John, as most people do when they're not believers and the preacher comes, they're all ready for you. Arms folded. I dare you to tell me anything that I ain't heard before. And I know that. So I just go in and, and befriended John and found out a lot about him. And I asked him about his salvation. He said, well... He said, you know, I got a little card that I keep above my visor, and it has a little prayer on it, and, I, and, and, and that's what I do. I just, I just say that prayer all the time. And I looked at John, and I said, 
John, you don't know Christ as Savior. He looked at me, and I said, you don't know him as Lord and Savior. And so I shared the gospel with him. He was very quiet as I shared the gospel with him and came to church the next Sunday. And then the next Sunday. And then he came to saving faith in Christ. Many of you heard his testimony. But I want to share with you what he said to me this morning. And I have his permission. That's why I'm telling you now. He came and he said, I hope I can get this out without crying. He said, but I just want to thank you, thank Grace Harvest, and thank my God. Because if it wasn't for that, I would be like I was every other Easter before I got saved. I'd be sitting in my garage drinking a beer and watching people drive down the road thinking, where in the heck are they going on a Sunday morning? And he said, but because of the faithfulness of the people here at Grace Harvest and his Lord and Savior, he was here today to worship a risen Savior. You see, that's what it's all about, folks. When it, Bottom line, that's what it's all about. It's the, your relationship with Christ. You may be sitting here today and think you're saved, just as John did all those years ago. And you really don't know him as Lord and Savior. We, we, get, we get disappointed and we get discouraged in life. And, and we're going to be talking about this disappointment discouraged this morning. And I'll start off with this short little illustration. There's a little five-year-old boy. And he's from Dallas, Texas. And his parents tell him, we're going to go to the Grand Canyon. And they're trying to explain to him how big the Grand Canyon is. And he's all excited and his little bitty eyes are getting all wide. Well, they get there and he's just got this frown on his face as he looks down in this hole in the ground. And he says to his mom and dad, I thought you said this was a big cannon. <laughs> you see... Christians, sometimes in our life, we're looking for that big canon when God has promised us the big canyon, the grand canyon. You see, God has called us to salvation, and sometimes our expectations are wrong even when we come to Christ, and we can even be disappointed in God and what He's doing in our own lives. And that's what happened on this road to Emmaus. We see these two disciples of Christ as they walk the seven miles on this Sunday from Jerusalem where three days earlier their Savior was crucified and put into a tomb. God did not come through the way they felt He should have. And they felt let down by God. That was the state of mind of these two disciples as you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word this morning as we read through the story of these two men. And behold, two of them were going that same day to a village named Emmaus, which was 60 stata from Jerusalem, and they were conversing with each other about all these things which had happened. And it happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus himself approached and was going with them. 
but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are discussing with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here these, these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a mighty prophet in deed and word in the Spirit of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us, astounding us, when they were at the tomb early in the morning and not finding his body. They came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman also said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things concerning himself in this, all the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now nearly over. And so he went in to stay with them, and it happened that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And after breaking it, he was giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? And they stood up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those with them who were saying, The Lord has really risen and he has appeared to Simon. And they were relating their experiences on the road and how he had recognized, was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. Oh, Father, your people have come. They've come to gather in this place, in this building this day. Your church, Father. They've come to celebrate the resurrection of your son. Oh, Father, we do this every Sunday as, re, as I remind your people every week that Sunday is a day that we remember the resurrection. But today, Lord, today we come after being here on Thursday and Friday and now Sunday, Father, where we see the promises fulfilled that were spoken of in the Old Testament. And I pray this morning, Father, that through this mere man that your people would be encouraged. And, Father, that you would... Help us to grow in our faith in you. And for the one who does not know you as Lord and Savior, the one whose heart is hardened and eyes are scaled over, Father, I pray that you give them faith today to see and to believe. And I ask this in the precious name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may have a seat. So here we are, and it's late afternoon, and darkness on Friday is lifted from Golgotha, and the sun was full upon them as it's come out, and Jesus has cried out his triumphant cry to Telestai, and the scripture tells us it's a loud voice that he hollers out, it is finished, 
It is finally done. The mission that he was called to by God the Father was fulfilled on that cross on Calvary. And then then his last words, Father, here, receive my spirit. But those gathered around the cross did not recognize it as victory. They did not fully comprehend what had just occurred. Jesus was taken down and He was laid into a tomb. His motionless body. All those who had hoped in Jesus slowly walked away from the scene. His mother and the ladies that were there and John would have walked away. Their hearts must have been filled with with numbing grief. Jesus, the hope, the promised one, was dead. So deep was their despair that no one possessed even the slightest thought of his resurrection at that moment. They didn't. The scripture doesn't talk about how they were encouraged by that. We don't. We we read nothing where the the, the apostles got together and said, "Hey." Hey, it's Friday, but in three days he said he would rise from the dead. We don't see that in Scripture. What we see is depression, despair. And it appears even when the reading through the gospel accounts of his resurrection, they didn't even believe it, that he was rose when they saw the empty tomb. So this morning, though, as we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior, I want to walk through three stages of these disciples' emotions. The first, we see hopelessness. We see hopelessness in verses 13 through 24. Then we see joyfulness in verses 25 through 29. And then we see faithfulness in verses 30 through 35. Hopelessness. Can you imagine... Being a follower of Christ on this that Saturday as you left Jerusalem, you're his disciple. And let me say something here too. All disciples, even though they may claim to be disciple, doesn't mean that they're a Christian. We know that from John chapter 6 when the Bible tells us that the disciples left him. They didn't believe in him. But I will say this, every Christian is a disciple because a disciple is a learner. And if you have to put your faith and trust in Christ, you are a disciple of His. If you're not, you're disobedient. Why do you think that I spend so much time in the pulpit being redundant when I keep saying, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him? When I say that you should be being discipled, that there should be an older, mature Christian in your life that you can go to with questions about Scripture, that you meet on a regular basis so they can help you with your walk and your faith as you increase your knowledge of who Christ is. You're not going to get this through osmosis. You're not going to get it from Facebook. You're not going to get it from Twitter. What you're going to get is from the study of Scripture and from mature men and women in the faith, from the hearing of the Word of God preached and taught. That's what a disciple is. A desire to know the one who has saved us and to love, love him as he loved us. I get, so, I get so tired of hearing people say, well, I, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I just don't like Christians. I'm a Christian. I just don't like coming to church. What you're saying is you don't love what Jesus loves. 
Because Jesus loves the church. That's another thing. You want to go to heaven? You want to be around a bunch of people who went to church? You want to be around who are the church? When I say went to church, I mean the church. The building is not the church. You come here on Wednesday night, you know this ain't some sanctuary. There's a bunch of kids running around here playing Awana. We eat in here. We have fellowship in here. We probably busted out a light or two in here kicking a ball around. This is not the church. You are the church, Christian. We've met out in that field before this building was built. We met in Paul Whitaker's work barn as a church. We worked, We met in a high school. We met in an elementary school. We met in my living room as a church. The church is the body of Christ. And we're called to gather together. In Acts 2.42, what's the first thing the church did? What's the first thing the people did when they got saved? They gathered together for the apostles' teaching, the preaching of the word. For the breaking of bread, for fellowship and prayers. Sort of sound like church to me. And yet, and yet I hear constantly, I don't need to belong to a local body of believers. Yes, you do. Now, some things will prevent that. The homebound who can't get out, we still love them. A person who is persecuted in a foreign country who is sitting in a concentration camp. This very day, they have to worship in, in private Because they can't gather with another believer. Oh, and that reminds me of another thing. If you're here today and and you think that the Lord doesn't show up if there's not two of you because somebody has told you where two or three are gathered in His name, He's there. I'm here to tell you if you're one by yourself and you're praising Him, He's there with you. Christian, we're never alone. but, but, But God gives us the church to encourage one another. And these two men, these two disciples of Christ, they are depressed. They are grieving and they're mourning everything that they thought was going to happen didn't happen. One of them is identified as Cleopas. We know him by name. We get to heaven, you can call out for him. The other one, we don't know. We don't know who the other one is. But they were devastated. They had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But a Messiah who managed to get himself in prison, handed over to the Romans, who then was crucified by their leaders, how in the world is this working out for us? They supported Jesus. If they were his disciples, if the Bible tells us he was a disciple, they were part of his ministry. They weren't the inner circle of the twelve, but they were part of as we read, the disciples that followed him and were with him, they, were, they ached and they, and they were grieving and they were confused. The Scripture promised a Messiah and they thought Jesus was the one, but he did not deliver. They were worrying about what was going to happen in Jerusalem and when, you know, what, what happened. Why didn't he come in and set it up? You know, one of the things we talked about when I preached through the Gospel of Matthew. Remember when we got to when Judas finally decides he's going to betray Jesus? It wasn't until that last week when he realized that Jesus was not going to set up an earthly kingdom. He'd been following him for these three years. He was seeing what he could get out of it. And when he realized Jesus was not going to uh, uh, overthrow the Romans and set himself up as king, he said, let me get out of here with what I can. See, everybody had this idea of who Christ was. It's Christian, you need to understand something. It's not about us. It's never about us. When you come to saving faith, 
It's always about Him. You know, I tell people all the time, I, I, when, when somebody doesn't know Christ and, and they'll see me, I'll spend a lot of time with them and, and, and be there for them constantly and, and I pray for them. And when they come to Saving Faith, I've had people come up to me like three or four months later and go, Pastor, you, you, you seem to lost interest in me. You, you, you don't spend as much time with me as you did before. And I kind of smile and I say, because before you got saved, it was all about you. Once you got saved, it became all about Him. And now your job is to serve the body. You're, you know, it used to be I could, when we were a new church and there was 20 of us. That's easy when a new believer came in. We fellowshiped all the time. Always. Have. But, but folks, we're, we're, we've gotten to the place in numbers where it's difficult for all the elders to have that relationship with everybody in the congregation. So we depend on mature men and women in the faith to be discipling. That's what you need to ask yourself today. You who are mature in the faith, are, are you discipling somebody now? Is there somebody that you meet with regularly to encourage them in the faith? Jesus, in spite of predicting his death at least three times in Scripture, these people were clueless. We know he did it in the Synoptic Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Let me, let me give this to you. So if you're taking notes, get ready to write the, the references. It's Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem Suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. He told them this. It shouldn't have been a surprise for them. It would be no surprise. Mark chapter 8, verse 32. But, but let me go back to Matthew first before I, 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 get, I don't want to blow over this point. What did Peter say when he said, I'm going to have to die for you guys? No way, Lord. Let it not be so. And we know what Jesus' response was to that. Get behind me, Satan. Remember, Jesus had just asked Peter, who do you say that I am? And he identified him as the son of the living God. And yet, with that same breath that he praised him, he cursed him. Then Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And the Bible tells us in verse 32 of Mark chapter 8, and he was stating the matter openly. So he wasn't telling in secret. He was speaking out loud to them. Hey, this is what's going to happen to me. And it's like they're just running around. They reminded me of my teenage kids. Hey, I told you not to do that. No, when did you say that? Oh, how about 35 times in the past two hours I told you not to do it. These folks weren't paying attention to what Jesus had to say in Luke chapter 9, verse 21. But he warned them and directed them not to tell this to anyone in this part. He said the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record that. And in John chapter 14, verse 29... Jesus intentionally came to the earth to die for our sins. You're my sins. And Jesus gave his disciples the prediction about his death. 
And then in John 14:29, he wrote it, John writes this, so that when it does take place, you may believe. So when I suffer, when I die on the cross, and when the tomb is empty, I'm telling you all this is going to happen so that you're not surprised. Nobody stole my body, and you can believe. I, I, there's a cute video going out right now on uh, by the Babylon Bee. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody seen it? It's about the uh, uh, the apostles. They all get together, and they're by a campfire. And they're talking about having a conspiracy to steal Jesus' body. So Peter and the boys are all standing there, and they go, Hey, guys, i got a plan. Let's steal Jesus' body. We'll tell everybody he raised from the dead, and then we'll die horrifying deaths. And everybody claps. Yeah, 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 that sounds like a plan. John goes, uh, did, I, did I miss something here? Oh, no, 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 you didn't miss nothing. This is great. Well, what are you going to do? He said, well, well, we'll go down and we'll bribe the guards, the Roman guards, and, and then somehow, some way, we'll roll the stone away, and, 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 and then we'll steal the body, and then, and then, then we'll die horrendous deaths. Isn't this a great plan? And John's going, I'm, I'm, I'm really missing something here. But you see, that was the story that the unbelievers told, wasn't it? Isn't that what the high priest and them decided to tell, was that they went and they stole the body? But Jesus told them, this is what's really going to happen. This is really what's going to happen. This doesn't sound like two guys that were part of stealing anybody, does it? No, these are two men who were depressed. And these two were grieving and they, and they had not yet rejoiced and they were feeling hopeless. They needed a word from God. They needed a word from God. As the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139 too, You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. The psalmist wrote in 139 too. That's for you and me too as well. Dear Christian, do you understand that God knows you when you sit down and when you rise up? He knows who you are. He cares about you. If He cares about those two sparrows that Jesus used in His illustration and not one of them falls to the ground without the Master knowing about it, how much more does He care for you and I? These men needed encouragement Christian, we have encouragement right here in the Word. All the truth that we, you and I need to know about Christ is right here in this book. He's given it to us so that we would believe. So needing a Word from God, they get the Word. The Word incarnate. Jesus Christ Himself appears to them. The pair, we are told in Scripture, was prevented from recognizing Him. And he said to them in verse 17, What are these words that you are discussing with one another as you are walking? I, 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 in my sanctified imagination, I see Jesus with a little smile on his face. As he's walking with these two men that he knew. So what's up, guys? Why so glum? What's going on? And so look how the two are described and they... They said they they stood still. They stopped. They stopped in their tracks. Basically, are you, are you an idiot? 
where have you been? Did you just crawl out from under a rock? Have you not checked your news feed? Have you not checked your Twitter account? Don't you know what's going on? And so they proceed to tell him, right? Verse 18, and one of them named Cleopas, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? He's, he's bewildered at this response. And then here's our Lord's response. What things? Go ahead and tell me what's bothering you guys. What, what, what's going on? And so verse 19 through 24 tells us what he said to them, to Jesus. They were so depressed and so negative in their confusion that it was beyond their capacity to make the obvious connection that Jesus was true to his word and he had risen from the dead. Now, Christian, if you've ever been depressed or you've ever had to try to counsel somebody or help somebody who's depressed, you know that such people are amazingly resourceful at finding reasons not to take comfort in anything that you say to them. They're determined that here, not any good news, they just want to sometimes wall in the bad news. Now, I understand some some depression is caused by medical conditions. I get that. But Christian, far too many acts of depression come from our own disobedience to God in in our own sinful lives. What we equate as depression is God using that in a Christian's life to bring a place of repentance. Think about it in your own life. If you're like me, when you commit sin, you're miserable. Matter of fact, the most miserable person is a Christian outside the will of a God. Will of God. I, I, I've told I've told folks before in counseling them, and, I, and especially in in in, uh, uh, in cases where a spouse has been unfaithful, and they get ready to walk out of my office, and they and they you know I'm, you're not going to tell me anything. How dare you? Who are you to tell me? I'm nobody. That's what I tell them. But I, I love you enough to tell you what the Word of God has to say. And when you and we, we, we and I look at them and I tell you, I love you enough to pray that God makes you the most miserable person on the face of the earth. It's pretty harsh, isn't it? But my prayer is that they come to save, come to a place of repentance and come back. That's when you truly love somebody, when you get down there in the trenches with them, and and believe me. I stay in the trenches with folks that are going through stuff like that. Some successfully repent and come back. Many, many more turn their backs on Christ. So here, these two, in their depression, really don't want to hear anything good news because there is no good news that they feel like can bring them out of the place of depression. Think about when they were told it was an empty tomb. When you think that the first thing they would think is about what Jesus had to say, but no, they didn't go there. Somebody stole the body. That's what had to happen. So the good news of the gospel was bad news for these two. And here's the funny thing. Here's the ironic thing about it. Notice what Cleopas says. He mentions that it had been three days since Jesus' death. And Jesus said he would be three days later that he would rise from the dead. Cleopas had let it all out, his confusion, his depression, his, dis- his disillusionment, his sh- shrinking faith, his anger. And so do- what was Jesus' response? Did he reject him because of this? 
He says, you're a, you're a worthless disciple. I don't want you anymore. No, he didn't do that at all, did he? Jesus got the men to reveal their true thoughts, which is their faith, faith was weak. We've all been there. You have walked through valleys in your life when your faith has not been as strong as you would like it to be. God doesn't reject us and abandon us when that happens. Matter of fact, He, he urges us to come to Him to bring our prayer. Why, why, did, why do you think Paul said pray without ceasing? In all things, pray. Bring them before the Lord. The Lord wants to know our hearts. He wants to know our thoughts. He knows them. He wants us to speak to Him about it. That's what prayer is. It's communicating to the Father. But I, I want to say something. There's so much good news in this message this morning. Jesus did exactly, He knew exactly what they needed to hear. And He needed them to know that He had come to do exactly what He was sent to this earth to do. Why? Why? You may be here this morning and you, you're hearing this preacher preach and sitting here going through this story. And you may not even know why God had to send his son to die what, what what what's what's all this about well it's a matter of justice it's about bottom line what's the matter is about justice you see when adam and eve sinned in the garden against a holy god justice had to be served and justice was the damnation of men and women Meaning that every man or woman born of God was destined to go to hell if not for God's mercy. Because you will receive one or the other, justice or mercy. All that reject Christ will get justice. We will get, they will get what they deserve. You see, I never ask God to give me what I deserve because if that was the case, I'd get hell. Instead, God has shown me mercy. And how did He show me mercy? He showed me mercy by sending His Son, the one who knew no sin, to be fully God and fully man, to walk, to be that little baby held in Mary's arms. I talked about this on Friday night. A child that nursed at his mother's breast was the same child as naked at her breast was naked on that tree, crucified. Mary walked with her son, Raised him as a son, knowing him, knowing he was the son of God. Jesus never committed a sin. Never had a lustful thought. Never told a lie. Never gossiped. Never spoke in anger. Folks, I, I can't even get through that list in one day. Let alone 33 years of life. But Jesus had to do that because he had to be perfect. He had to be perfect. The perfect lamb. To take away the sins of the world. And as he suffered on that cross. And God poured out his wrath on him. When he cried out. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? At that moment God poured his anger and wrath. Against my sin. My sin. Make it personal. It was your sin. That he died for. And when he died on that cross. And he rose on that third day. He defeated death. We sang a song today. Death is dead. Death is dead for every believer. Death is dead. And we who receive Christ as Lord and Savior, when you acknowledge your sin before a holy God and say, 
Just as the thief on the cross recognized that he was a sinner in need of salvation. That's all it takes to be saved. It's not coming to church that saves you. It's not, it's not reading your Bible that saves you. It's not doing anything that saves you. It's acknowledging that you're a sinner before a holy God, confessing that sin, repenting of that sin, and trusting Christ for salvation in Him alone. You've made Him Lord and Savior of your life. And now, unlike the thief on the cross, you get up off your knees, and now God says, live for me. Live for me. Live for me, Mark. Live for me. I died for you, and if you call yourself Christian, then act like one. Is there fire in your bones when you think of my son? Do you, do you love me enough to, to risk embarrassment, Mark, to talk about me? Do you love me enough that you would literally die for me if I called you to? That's what I meant when he said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. And yet, some will carry the title of Christian and never read his book, never pray to him, never belong to a local body, and say that you love Christ, but you don't love the things he loves. God saved us for His glory, not ours. And when you became His, that's what all this is about this morning. That's the testimony I gave you this morning from John Anderson. It's the testimony you will hear. It's the testimony in your, in your own life. That's the good news that was revealed to us on this day. And these two now get to hear Jesus talk to them. He gets, they get to hear the joy of salvation. I want, I want you to think about this for a moment. Earlier in the day, and we are told that when the angel asked them, why do you look for the living among the dead? That's where too many Christians... Their faith is, it's among the dead and not the living. We need to be living our lives for Him. And so Jesus, He rebukes Cleopas and His companion when He says to them, Oh foolish ones, oh, oh foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into His glory? Certainly they believed the prophets, but, but he, just as certainly they did not believe all that the prophets had said, obviously, they read and believed the prophets when it had to come to do with the Messiah ruler, expecting Him to set up this kingdom on earth, but they ignored the passages of the suffering servant. We Christians do the same thing today. You want to take all the passages of Scripture that point to all the good things that are going to happen to you. We like to skip those ones that says the world's going to hate you. The world's going to persecute you. And you will suffer for my name's sake. We, 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 we don't like those. No different than them. Foolish people, slow of heart to believe. That was the rebuke from the king. And so here in verse 27... I love this 
I love this. I love this. Then beginning with Moses and with the prophets, he interpreted to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Imagine this. Jesus is preaching. Now we are told that Matthew, in the book of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever preached. And the reason we're told that is because we know exactly what was said. But i got to believe that Sunday morning, this is the first sermon preached after the resurrection. Think about that. And who preaches it? Jesus himself. Jesus preaches about himself. The word who became flesh, John 1 tells us, is now preaching to these two men standing there. He preaches to them. And where does he go to preach to them? He preaches about himself from the Old Testament. Could you imagine? Imagine with me as he he walked through Genesis with them. And in Genesis 3, when Jesus was the seed of the woman that bruised the serpent's head. Think about in Genesis 22 when Abraham and Isaac... And Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. And right before he brought the knife down, the angel stopped him and said, The Lord knows that you will hold nothing back from him. And God provided the sacrifice that was to be given. And Jesus said, I am that sacrifice. In Exodus 12, 21, Jesus was the Passover lamb sacrificed for us. In Numbers 21, 8, Jesus was lifted up on the pole like the bronze serpent. Deuteronomy 18.15, Jesus was lifted up. Excuse me, that was numbers. Deuteronomy 18.15, Jesus was the prophet like Moses who God raised up. The first five books of the Bible, Jesus is preaching himself through to these men. Oh, to have heard that sermon. And then the Psalms. Do you think he went to the Psalms? In Psalm 2.7, the Messiah will be the Son of God. In Psalm 22, 16, Jesus was the one whose hands and feet were pierced on the cross. And then when he gets to the prophets, Isaiah 53, Jesus was prophesied to be the one to take our sins as punishment. In the prophet Ezekiel, Jesus is the chief shepherd who fed the people physically and spiritually. And Daniel was a foreshadowing of the salvation provided by Christ. We see that in the stories of the fiery furnace with Daniel in the lion's den. All of those Jesus preached to these two men. Could you imagine? As they heard Him preach all of these things. And then what happens? This stranger had established that suffering and Death were not obstacles to Jesus being Messiah and in fact in the fact made Jesus claiming to be the Messiah more credible and compelling. The real Messiah had to suffer. Jesus would have shared that with them. Their confusion and depression would have melted away as they're listening to Jesus preach them. What grief they would have been spared if they had only known and believed God's word to begin with. Christian 
I tell you, when I am ministering to a mature Christian in the faith, it is so much different than I minister to somebody who doesn't know Christ as Savior. It's night and day. When Christians face adversity, they understand it's not about them. When a mature Christian understands that even in their sickness and health and impending death even, they understand that this life is fleeting. And this is not all there is. I spoke on Friday night of last words. And I shared with you the last words of atheist. And then I shared the words of men like Charles Spurgeon. What a difference it is when those who are facing death trust in Christ as salvation. Because I know, because I know, because I know, because I know, because I know I belong to Him. And I am His forever and ever and ever. There is no doubt in my mind that when this body stops working, then my spirit goes to be with the Lord. I am with Him forever. The moment my last breath is taken, I am to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And after a proper time of mourning and grieving here at Grace Alvarez, maybe three to five years, you can get another pastor. <laughs> no, there will be a man in the pulpit the very next week. Because it's never about us, folks. It's always about him. It's always about him. It's always about him. So Jesus tells them all this. They, 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 they must have at that moment realized, holy smoke, what in the world's going on? And so as, as they enter in the house, we're told that he's getting ready to leave. And, and, they, and they beg him to stay and eat with him. And Jesus graciously does it. He reclines with them. To have fellowship with them. Remember the early church? They gathered together, together for the apostles' teaching. For prayer. For fellowship. And the breaking of bread. Jesus is doing all that with them. He's setting an example. And he goes, and then they realize, God allows them to realize it was him. And then he's gone. You imagine the joy in their hearts at that moment? You talk about getting excited. You talking about just, I got to do something. I, I got I to do something. And what do they do? They show their faithfulness because they got to go tell somebody. And Christian, what do you do? with the knowledge that you know Jesus is Lord and Savior. What do you do with it? Is there an extra pep in your step because you belong to Him or you always got your hands in your pocket? Oh, woe is me. Woe is me. Oh my gosh, i got to go to work. Oh my gosh, i got to do this. Christian, you ought to have joy every moment of your life, even in the midst of trials and tribulations. And I know that you think that's hyperbole, but I'm telling you that God tells us that He gave us all the peace He was going to give us, and my joy I give to you as well. Joy and peace. Sometimes I think we're just like that little five-year-old kid who gets disappointed because we didn't get to see the big cannon and we stomp our feet. I've shared this with you before, but there's enough people here that don't know this story. We were on our way to Dothan State Park. Jesse, his family, my family, the kids, I don't know if you remember this. We went up there, and, and our Sunday school class went up there, and it was raining, and we're coming through Midlothian, and my son Sean was five years old. He starts crying and screaming in the back of the van. We had a big old conversion van. He's crying and screaming. And uh, 
you make it stop. What? You're making it rain. Wow, I didn't know I had that power as a dad. But that child thought that I could make it. And he was, I mean, literally threw a tantrum in the van until Mama got up and whipped his butt. Because we weren't going to hear that all the way to Dallas State Park. The point is that sometimes we're like that five-year-old child. We want something, we want it now, and we shake our fist at God because He doesn't give us what we want to. And understanding that God gives us our best for us, what's best for us. He gives it the best. And so these two souls, these two Christians, these two disciples of Christ, they are, they are maxed out. They are, they are full. They are, they are flaming on fire with the, with the excitement that they have seen the risen Savior. Jesus was gone. Jesus was gone. But, but they weren't finished. You realize they had walked seven miles from Jerusalem. And I would imagine it was kind of a casual walk. I can imagine they were in a real big hurry to get home. It was seven miles. The average person can walk seven miles in about three hours. The healthier you are, you could probably do it in two and maybe an hour and a half. But, but these guys, they just walked at seven miles. And now, Scripture tells us, it's dark. And it ain't safe. It's a distance from my house, I live at the end of Chula, to here. Seven miles. It takes me ten minutes to drive it. So if, if, if these guys, if anything, they, you would think they would be tired, but that didn't stop them. They get up, and I imagine the whole way was probably the shortest trip ever for them. Because have you ever been talking to somebody and then realize, wait, whoa, how did I get all this distance? You imagine what they were talking about as they get there. And then what do they do with the information? They immediately go and they tell the disciples. They tell them. And you know the exciting thing is these disciples would see Jesus again later that evening along with the rest of the apostles. But for now, they were thrilled. We are told that Peter had seen Christ. Peter had seen him. There might have been a little teeny doubt that maybe we imagined this. But Peter saw him as well. This very moment, Christ knows you. He knows who you are. He knows everything about your life. He knows everything that you're hiding from him this morning. Christian, we come and we rejoice at the resurrection of our Lord. But so many of us, our joy is not complete because of sin in our lives. And I, and I encourage you, Christian, to think about that, repent of it, especially before we receive the Lord's Supper today. In just a moment, we will, we will do that. And, and that's a time that Paul warns us to make sure we do it in a worthy manner. That means you're not confessing to anybody, especially not me, but you're confessing unto the Lord and you're acknowledging that your sin to, sin to God who is faithful and just to forgive it. Remember, remember, you will never stand in judgment for your sin. You are saved. You're secure in that. But unconfessed sin hinders our relationship with Christ and our fellow believers. So this morning, if you don't know Christ as Savior, I pray that God would use the message that was delivered this day that just as these two men on the road to Emmaus 
were blinded from who He was. My prayer this morning is those scales will come off of your eyes and that a heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh. And remember, it's this, it's this simple. Trust Christ for salvation and not yourself. Believe He is the Son of God. He suffered, died, was buried, and rose on the third day. And He sits at the right hand of the Father now. Confess that with your mouth. Believe it in your heart. And the Bible says you're His. And the rest, God will give you the power through the Holy Spirit that indwells in you to live for Him. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. Christian, we, are, we have joy in our hearts today. Could you imagine what it must have been like for them? I said in an earlier sermon this morning, I loved to run when I was younger and before I hurt my back. I, I loved, whether it was 90 degrees, 100 degrees outside, or 20 degrees outside, I would run. I'd love to run. Why? Because I love that runner's high. The, the endorphins that were released from the, from the physical activity. But can you imagine these two? The spiritual high they must have been on at this moment. And Christian, I, I want you to remember the day that you were saved. You remember that joy in your heart? Do you remember that? You remember when you confessed Jesus as Lord and you couldn't wait to tell people about it? When was the last time you felt that way? Oh, you're, you're His. It's there, but is there joy in your life? I, I, I pray that you ask God to give you that. Christian, we can't do this on our own. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. And, and we are not the slaves in the sense that God will, does not give us free will to live our lives out. He does. So I pray that the choices that you and I make would be honor and pleasing to Him and would reflect the faith that we have in a risen Savior. And if you're here today and you don't know Him, I pray that this is the day of your salvation. In just a moment, I will stand up front. And at that time, I will I'll receive all those that want to make public their profession of faith that Jesus has called them to be His very own. And you say, why do we do that? Well, the Bible says that Christ said, if you're ashamed of Me, then I will be ashamed of you. Don't let embarrassment hinder you from making a public profession. Some of you, the Lord has said just today that we're going to do a baptism here after the Lord's Supper. And you have been born again. You're a believer in Christ, but you have never followed your Lord and Savior in baptism. Now, the baptism doesn't save you, but it's an outward sign of the inward change, and it's the first command we're giving after we repent and believe. We're to be baptized. Yes, some of you are holding back for whatever reason. And some of you today, God has given you an assignment in your own life to change the way you're heading, to repent of sin. I'll be available to pray with you now and after the service as well. I will be here. I will linger after the service. You come as the Lord leads. Father, thank You for the cross. Thank You for a suffering Messiah. Thank You that it pleased You to pour Your wrath about upon Your Son. Thank You, Father, 
for raising Jesus from the dead. Thank you, Father, for calling me and every other brother and sister gathered here in this place to saving faith. Help us to live lives, Father, that are wholly pleasing to you. And I pray, Father, that you would even draw one today to that saving faith. I ask all this in the precious name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You come as the Lord leads, as Pastor Cal leads us.